don't know if anyone remembers that, your initial reaction to it. Um, I grew up in church, so I probably heard it when I was young, but I have a really vivid memory. When I was about 17, I was in this Bible class, I was a group of young people, and we spent a whole term studying the Beatitudes. And I've got a really vivid memory of the very first time that I seriously read it with the intent of really trying to understand what it means. Oops, nothing's nothing's working. Yep, we're good. And my first impression as a 17-year-old, sitting around a table with a group of other young people, and we read the Beatitudes, my first impression was, what a word salad. What a jumble of Christian words and phrases. I don't know what it means. Poor in spirit. Inherit the earth. What does all these Christian platitudes mean? And to me, it was just a big jumble of phrases that really didn't make much sense. In fact, not that it did more that it didn't make sense, it was confusing. To be happy, you've got to be sad. To be rich, you have to be poor. Didn't make any sense. Now, over that term of um, studying with some help of a group of people, I ended up with um, sort of understanding the definitions of most of those words in the Beatitudes. But I ended up with this impression that the Beatitudes was more regulations, more requirements of how I should live. And my take home from the Sermon on the Mount was Jesus was saying to us, you thought the law was simple, didn't you? Sucker. I've lifted the bar. I've made it even harder for you to please God. And I went away thinking the Sermon on the Mount was this impossible requirement that God expected of me. But now, thankfully, I read the Beatitudes very differently. And so now looking at them, I don't look at them now as a list of requirements, but rather I read them as a list of values, where Jesus is saying, these are the values of my kingdom. This is what my kingdom looks like. This is how people in my kingdom, how they behave. And these are the values that my people are going to have, and they're going to transform culture. They're going to turn society upside down. They're going to completely transform it with these values. Now, um, I was away last Sunday, so I missed out on the first couple of sermons, but I caught up during the week, um, and I really enjoyed listening to Denise and Clinton and their take on the Beatitudes. And I like what Denise said, that this is God's honour roll. The types of people who in our world are invisible, who are often despised, in the kingdom of God, these people are highly favoured. They're esteemed. And I think the reverse is true as well. I think people who our culture worships, in the kingdom, they're not so much. So in the kingdom of God, if you say, I'm a Hollywood actor, and I've got a private jet, in the kingdom of God, it's like, eh, I've got an Instagram account with a million followers and they love my photos of my glamorous life. In the kingdom, it's like, so what? It's not important. These things aren't esteemed in the kingdom. 
But this is what's esteemed. This is what is valued. And so let's, <coughs> let's dive into our third beatitude. It's in verse 5 of Matthew chapter 5. It says, <coughs> Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. <coughs> now this week I've been imagining the people up on the mountain with Jesus in the first century. Imagining how they reacted when they heard Jesus, Jesus say this. Because they lived under the rule of Caesar. Under a ruthless, aggressive, violent regime. Where the people with the biggest army got the most stuff. And to get the land, to get territory, you needed a big, violent, aggressive army. And I imagine when Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, I kind of imagine their faces kind of, what? Scratching their heads. That doesn't make sense. That's not how Caesar did it. And even for us today, we thankfully don't live in a, under a tyranny, but we know that there is a 5% in the world that own like 90% of the world's wealth. And we know that this 5%, we generally don't refer to them as being meek. We think of people like Jeff Bezos, people who own these large companies. We see them as being assertive, ruthless, determined, real go-getters, huge egos, see what they want and they grab it. And so, he is. <clears throat> so this word meek, it's sort of a bit confusing. Now we need to think what it means when Jesus says, blessed are the meek. What does this word meek mean? Now I don't know about you, but my initial thought, my initial connotations are things like timid, a bit fearful, someone who's <clears throat> easily manipulated. Someone who's really easy to change their minds. In fact, the image I come up with is my parents have this dog and it's called Sam. And um, <clears throat> when they got him, he had to be rehomed because his initial owners were very harsh with him. And this dog, every time you come near and if you make a movement, he cowers. He's very nervous. He's timid. And when I hear the word meekness, I kind of conjure up the image of Sam. Kind of cowering. This nervous disposition. And that's often what we think when we think of the word meek. Now, I don't think that's a helpful word in understanding what Jesus was saying. <clears throat> Let's think about the actual original um, word in the Greek. There's a word called praus. Now, I may be pronouncing it wrong. I've heard people say it like that, so I'm going to go with that. Um, praus is the original Greek word. Now, um, the way that word was used in ancient Greek culture was often used to describe a war horse, a stallion that was wild, untamed, and someone's got a hold of it, and they've trained it, and the rider develops a bond with it, and now this dangerous, aggressive animal, full of uncontrolled power, has now been brought under control. And now it does the will of its rider, the will of its master. 
And so this horse that's been trained, it's just as powerful as a wild horse, but its power is under control. And so the original way this word prowess was used was strength under control. Now, I had first-hand experience of this word prowess when I was at the ECA this year. Uh, we had friends who had a show team of Devon cattle, and Steffi and I got to go and give them a hand with the judging and the parading. And we went there in the morning ready to help walk the cattle from the sheds down to the showground. And we got there, um, they're all blow-dried and looking beautiful. <laughs> and I said, right, which one's mine? Which one do I get to walk? And he handed me a 1,200-kilo bull. And I'm not exaggerating, its neck was this wide. And they gave me the rope. And I looked up at this bull. I'm sure he grinned at me. <coughs> um, and I picked up over him and I looked down his back. And he had a back that you could drive a truck along. Okay? Just a monstrous animal. And I said to the owners, I said, is this going to be all right? I've, I've not, I haven't done this before. He said, oh, he'll be right. He's good. Anyway, it was time to walk. And so this enormous bull, 1,200 kilos of muscle and testosterone, and I literally, gently, didn't want to make him mad. <laughs> we're ready to go. And I just gave a little tug. And this big beast just started to lumber. And I was shocked as I was walking. He just lumbered beside me. And if I sped up, he sped up. And if I slowed down, he slowed down. And going around a corner, just the gentlest pull. And this enormous animal steered his carriage around. And you'd bring him to a stop. No problem at all. This was first-hand experience of great strength that was controlled. And we got to the Ecker crowds. And now I'm surrounded by strollers and prams and kids and grandmas. <laughs> and I thought, this, is gonna, this, this could get ugly. If this bull wants to go, I got no control. But thankfully, he held on to his meekness and we, we walked through the crowd. And so that's this, what this word prowess means. And so there's no direct English equivalent for it. And so in English, when we convert, so meekness is probably not a great translation. It's probably a combination of all these things like gentleness, humility, patience, being calm, long-suffering, certainly not being timid, certainly not weakness. It's great strength. It's under control. Now, probably the, <clears throat> the greatest example we'll find of prowess was obviously Jesus. And I love the incident when the crowds came to seize him and arrest him, to take him and crucify him. And when the crowds came, one of his disciples, Peter, reacted emotionally. And Peter pulled out his sword and he said, I'm, I'm going to defend Jesus, I'm going to fight. And he was angry, and he was emotional, and he actually chopped someone's ear off. Okay. Now, when we look at how Jesus responded, we see this prowess. Jesus said to him, enough. He healed the man's ear. And Jesus said to Peter, he says, don't you understand? He said, I could call to my father, and he would send me legions of angels. He's saying, if I wanted to. I could obliterate everyone here. This strength under control. 
And Jesus allowed himself to be led away. And this is what this word is, plow Okay, so there's only two people in the Bible who are actually described as being meek or be having this quality of prowoos. First one's obviously Jesus. And this is what it said about Jesus when it describes him as being meek in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11. This is the context for it. Jesus is speaking here and he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle, that's the word, and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And so here we find out something else about meekness. Something else about great strength under control. So Jesus is demonstrating here that if we're going to become someone who is meek, we're going to use our strength to bear the burdens of others. This is how Jesus controls his strength. Not just for his own ambitions, not just for his own benefit, but his strength was controlled in a way to bear the burdens of other people. And that tells us something else about what it means to be meek. Now, surprisingly, the only other person in the Bible who is described as meek was Moses. Now, that's surprising because we know that Moses had a violent temper. Moses killed a guy. He beat him to death. So it seems odd that in Numbers it says that Moses was the meekest man on earth. Sounds, doesn't sound right. Moses, in fact, struggled with a temper his whole life. You remember when he received the, the law and the tablets, and he came down all excited from the mountain, and his, the people had gone nuts, and he got so angry he smashed them. Doesn't sound like someone who's calm, patient, gentle. So what that tells us is that this prowess, this meekness, isn't something we're just born with. It wasn't natural to Moses. It's something he had to be transformed with. And it's the same for us. It's not natural to be meek. When someone attacks us, the natural thing is to bite back. When someone disappoints us, the natural thing is to react judgmentally. That's our natural way of acting. But this meekness This is something supernatural. This is why in Galatians it says that one of the fruits of the Spirit is gentleness. Because it's not something that is just natural. Now, um, Jesus says that if you are meek, if you have this quality of praeus, your life will be blessed. And people will be blessed through you. This quality is going to transform culture. It's going to change the world. So let's think about that. How does this praeus change the world? How does it make our lives better and the people around us, how does it make their lives better? Well, this is what it says in Proverbs. It says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And this is what meekness does. It de-escalates tension. It actually 
reduces conflict. This is what it does. It changes families. It will transform a marriage. It will change a work relationship because it replaces tension and conflict with harmony. Now, again, I experienced this firsthand a few weeks ago. Unfortunately, I'm sorry I'm going to tell you, I was the angry person, not the one giving the soft response. So I ride my bike to work, and I had one ride home where I just had multiple run-ins with people. And some bunch of kids rode past, and they had finished their McDonald's drink, and they threw it out the window at me. Um, Someone else came along beside me, honking the horn at me. And so I'm starting to get a little bit twitchy. And I was coming down a pretty quiet street, and someone backed out of the house, just flat out, and I had to swerve out of the way. Now, combination of things, I got really angry. You moron. (laughs) And he started to drive off slowly, and I got on my bike, and I'm going to drive right up to the window, and I'm going to let this guy know what a menace he is on the road. (laughs) Absolutely furious. And when I got there, before I could say anything, he wound the window down, and he gave me a sheepish grin. He goes, oh, really sorry about that. I didn't see you. Hope you're all right. And here I was, full of anger, <laughs> and like that, gone. And I was like, oh, you. <laughs> I, I can't stay mad at you. <laughs> um, the anger was just evaporated. It was gone. I was so furious disappeared. Now I think, what would have happened if this guy had have reacted in anger to me? This is what normal people do. And then we got into a thing. And then I would have ridden home, the whole way home, tense, playing it over and over in my mind, full of tension, full of pressure. And I would have got home and the kids would have inevitably smashed something. And I'm already full of tension. And it's got to get into this cycle. But that gentle word just took away the tension and there I was riding home with a big smile a grin on my face relaxed got home and I'm all calm and I'm all happy this is what it says in Colossians it says husbands love your wives and treat them gently because you'll have it will it will minimize conflict it will bring harmony it'll take away Pressure, tension, stress. Just parents, don't provoke your kids to anger. It's the same thing, but in reverse. Prowus. Treat them gently. Now, I wonder if you're somebody and your life is characterized by pressure, stress, tension... I would would, um, hazard a guess that you need gentleness. You need this quality of prayus. I'm going to give you guys a little challenge this week. I want you to think of somebody maybe that you have some tension with. Might be someone in your home, your parents, maybe a work colleague, maybe someone who works for you, maybe you're the boss. Someone you have some tension with. I want you to challenge you and think how this week or next week, 
how can I practice prayer? How can I speak with gentleness and try and resolve this tension, de-escalate conflict? Might be a neighbour. Next time someone criticises you, have a go at responding with gentleness. The next time somebody lets you down, think about how you can respond. Instead of judgmentally, how can I respond with gentleness, with patience? And if we do that, and we develop this habit of gentleness, we will become more like Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. If we take these things that Jesus says seriously, it will transform our lives. Our lives will become more blessed. Our families will be more blessed. Our marriages, our neighbourhoods, your workplace. People will be blessed through you. So I'm going to leave you guys with that challenge. Worship team can come back up if they like. Then we're going to take communion. And so to me, we think of communion. We think of Jesus who died on the cross. His body broken, his blood shed. Now, the story of Jesus going to the cross is a story of gentleness. It's a story of great meekness. I, th- I'm, I remember when he, at the time, he was, he was insulted, spat at, struck, and the Bible said he was like a lamb. He didn't react. When they nailed him to the cross, unbelievable. It says that Jesus prayed. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And he allowed himself to be taken to the cross, not because he was weak, not because he was easily influenced, because he had great power under control. And as we take communion this morning, let's give thanks. And let's think, how can we be imitators of Christ and have great strength under control?